Welcome back to Perspective is Everything, and I wanted to talk about my reasons why I changed the name of my podcast, why I'm doing a podcast. Uh, I wanted to talk about this before I got into the real meat of episode three. So I wanted to start a podcast not because I wanted to be famous or have any kind of notoriety or anything like that. Um, When you start a podcast they give you the option to monetize it, and I've declined that because I don't want my podcast to be about making money. You know, I want people to actually think about the information as I present it because I see a lot of people right now who want to do something, they feel like they need to do something, but they have no idea what to do. They don't know where to go. They don't know where to look. They don't trust the media. We don't trust people that we've previously looked up to. It's just times are really crazy right now. And I think more than anything, people just need a voice that's not telling them to do psychotic things. Because everywhere you look, someone's telling you to do something that previously to this year would not make any sense to us. So I wanted it to just be about information and to give people a different point of view because i'm just a normal person i think of me as like a conscientious objector you know this is how i see it and i'm hoping that it'll help someone in the process um reason why i did not associate my name or my face or anything like that with the podcast is because Whether we're aware of it or not, our preconceived biases that are created by our environment impact and affect how we perceive information. It affects how we retain that information, and it can actually cause us to not hear the entirety of it. And and biases across the board, it, it doesn't really matter. Everybody kind of has a preconceived bias, whether we're aware of it or not so these are the reasons why i wanted to stay kind of as an anonymous as i possibly can those of you who know who i am if you want to share my podcast great do it and don't tell them where you found it just say hey check this out so since i've kind of got into all that and honestly one of our biggest issues right now is the news and the media Because I don't think there's a single news outlet right now that doesn't have some sort of underlining bias or agenda. I mean, it's obvious. Look at them. They're constantly giving us conflicting reports. You know, and it's all, so many of them play propaganda. And we're not even aware of it a lot of the time. You know, a lot of times we watch nationally syndicated news outlets and we think, oh, this is the news, but we never stop to question whether or not that's actually what's going on because it's also biased. They all have an agenda. And I I just want to state for the record, though, if you are influenced by a celebrity that has been preaching hate at you for any period of time and then immediately after something went their way, they told you that now you had to stop hating all of a sudden, they're liars, Okay, celebrities have been used in propaganda tools by corrupt entities like government and different organizations for eons. I mean, the Greeks and the Romans used to use actors in theater to influence politics. So 
if you're influenced by somebody that's constantly preaching hate at you, get better figures to look up to. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't follow anyone that preaches hate in any form. I, I just, I have no interest in listening to someone that's trying to tell me to hate someone else or anything like that. It, there's no room for hate in our current society, but that seems to be all we're getting these days. It's, it's really unfortunate. But to go along those lines with, you know, the media and celebrities and propaganda and all this nonsense, I wanted to dig into who's really in charge of the information we receive. Uh, who are these people? Who owns this? You know, wh what are their motives? So I went through and and started researching some of the bigger news syndicated, syndicated you know, outlets, news stations. CNN, for one, was created by Ted Turner, who created TBS, also the co-founder of a nuclear threat initiative. I found this weird that someone who owns a news station would be involved in anything of that capacity, but it's supposed to be a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization founded in 2001 by former Democrat Senator Sam Nunn and Ted Turner. Ted Turner's net worth as of March 2020 is $2.1 billion. Okay. Now, they can say that this little nuclear threat initiative founded in 2001 is nonpartisan. I can tell you right now, whether it's a nonprofit or not, there's government involved in that. Anything nuclear, government's going to be involved. That's just, it's just par for the course. You cannot start anything that deals with any kind of nuclear warheads, nuclear war, anything like that. The government's going to be involved. I think it's just safe to say the government's probably involved in everything, but I think it's a lot more complicated now with the advancements in technology. So that's CNN. Um, Fox. Uh, Rupert Murdoch created Fox, and Fox gets really convoluted, and I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but... Um, Rupert Murdoch's net worth as of May 2020 is $16.3 billion. Okay, just to put that in scope for you, these are our major media outlets. The people that own them are literally have all of the wealth. So, you know, when people are screaming about all the elitists in the world, maybe turn off your news because those are the real elitists. And that's the truth of it. I mean, here's another example. NBC. Okay, NBC was founded by the Radio Corporation of America in 1926. This made it the oldest major broadcaster. And the parent company for NBC was actually General Electric, was the parent company until 1932, when General Electric was forced to sell due to antitrust charges. I haven't quite dug into that yet because I'm thinking I kind of want to do another episode about antitrust. But that's just something I noted. Um, so after they had to sell in um, 1932, in 1986, General Electric regained control of NBC. Bob Wright was the chief executive officer until Jeff Zucker. Now, remember this. Jeff Zucker works for CNN now. Okay, Jeff Zucker replaced... Um, Bob Wright in 2007 
And NBC is now owned by Comcast. Now, pretty much everyone should be familiar with Comcast by now, I would assume. You know, they're a tech mogul at this point. Steve Burke is the senior executive vice president of Comcast Corporation and chairman of NBC Universal. He is also a board member of Berkshire Hathaway Incorporated, JP Morgan, and the Children's Hospital Philadelphia. His net worth was estimated at 69.7 million, but it was difficult to determine because he owns so many stocks and bonds and everything. So they can't really determine his actual net worth. Because it becomes too convoluted and they lose track of things. And let's face it, any big time millionaire, billionaire, they have charities they siphon money through. And it's just it's just one big money laundering scheme at this juncture. You know, th once you get to the point where you have this much money and you have this much control over, you know, nationally syndicated news outlets and real estate companies and actual whole banks that have been around for... I mean, really... They find ways to hide their money. We'll never know exactly how much money they have. But I found it to be interesting that every single one of them, there was strange little backstories. Like one was involved in nuclear. Um, Fox is probably one of the better ones at covering its tracks because it was really difficult to pinpoint how many different branches of, you know, just Fox there exists, you know. Um, I don't trust them either. I'm just going to state that for the record. I don't trust any of them. I think you should question them all. But my point of this is that all of our media is biased. All of it. There's not a single media outlet today that does not have its own agenda. I don't believe there is one. I think they all tell a portion of the truth and they twist the rest of it to serve their agenda. And I think at this point it would be wise for anyone, whether you're in the United States or anywhere else, to question everything. All of it. So I started digging around into some of the coverage they've been doing because obviously what are we all talking about this year? I mean, there's a lot we're talking about, but the main theme of the year is mass hysteria over the coronavirus. And I want to say for a record, I, you know, I'm sure there is a virus. I'm positive. I mean, we've always had, I mean, the bubonic plague, the Spanish flu, I mean, polio, measles, mumps, rubella. I, we're always going to have some sort of virus. I mean, some of them never go away, like the cold or the flu. But I wanted to dig in a little bit more into the Spanish flu. So the Spanish flu, formerly known as H1N1, because this was the first emergent of it, they believe, they don't know for sure, because this all happened in 1918, they believe that it originated out of a military base in Kansas, in the United States. But at that time, they believed that it was actually <clears throat> not, it, you know, all everybody that had it was asymptomatic. They didn't, it wasn't really dangerous at that point. But because we were also fighting in World War One, they believed that it actually mutated in the trenches of France because, you know, it got exposed to the deplorable conditions over there. It's not like they had public bathrooms. We're talking soldiers in foxholes, bleeding all over each other, infection. I mean, it was, you know, it was dirty conditions. And pretty much every virus mutates. I'm, I'm, it's a process of evolution. I mean, our species evolves. Um, we evolve as individuals, 
you know, if you're not evolving, you're just regressing, and that's just sad. But it, it, viruses mutate all the time. You know, it's just it, they typically mutate when something's introduced into their environment that makes them evolve to survive, typically, or they evolve to do more damage, all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, <clears throat> it's like the flu, the H1N1 has always been somewhat dangerous, obviously, the Spanish flu. The stats on the Spanish flu is, is it killed about 50 million people globally, 675,000 Americans, with a global population of 17.4 million at the time. That's about a third of the world's total population was wiped out in the Spanish flu or H1N1. A 2009 virus for H1N1 was developed both in injection and nasal inhalant. Chicken embryos, which if people don't realize, they use chicken and pig embryos for a long time to culture vaccines. Um, it has become pretty clear that a lot of people are not actually familiar with how they make with how they actually create vaccines, which is you know, it's not common knowledge. You actually have to dig for this kind of stuff because they don't just slap it on the label. They don't. Um, so anyway, chicken embryos were used to culture both forms, both the nasal inhalant and the injection. But it was determined that about 30% of the population already had immunities to H1N1. So I found this interesting because I've heard a lot on the media lately and CNBC and all the major syndicates have said that herd immunity is not possible without a vaccine. Well, if they didn't actually start developing an effective vaccine for H1N1 until 2009, and we just can't reach herd immunity without it, wouldn't we have not survived the Spanish flu in 1918? That's what I'm confused about. I, I don't understand how they can say that we won't reach herd immunity without a vaccine, but they didn't even really come up with an effective vaccine for H1N1, and then 30% of the population already had immunities to it. So I don't understand how we're vaccinating for something that so much of the population is already pretty immune. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me, and honestly, they've been able to prove that a lot of the vaccines and antibiotics we use on viruses now actually make them stronger. And it actually makes them mutate faster and it makes them evolve faster because they're evolving to survive. So we took a, a bug that was already fairly dangerous. You know, we saw that in the Spanish flu and people die every year from the flu still. It's still a thing. But now we're making it even more dangerous because it's evolving to survive. It's like cockroaches. Cockroaches will survive a nuclear blast. We won't. And now they're actually saying there's certain species of super cockroaches that they think nothing could kill them, like no weapon on earth could kill them. And that freaks me out because cockroaches are disgusting. But, um, you know, it, it's just strange to me that say that we can't reach herd immunity when it says right here in 2009 they found that 30% of people were already immune to H1N1. It's just, that's just... Strange. And also during the Spanish flu, people who had gotten sick and gotten over the Spanish flu were then placed in charge of caring for the sick and disposing of bodies. So obviously people were forming an immunity to viruses without a vaccine. Okay, so during the Spanish flu, about one third of the total population died. H1N1 killed them. Okay, COVID deaths globally. 
These are the numbers I was able to determine seem to be the most consistent because so much of the information fluctuates. Um, I don't know if anyone else has run across this, but when I'm researching information about coronavirus, it fluctuates quite a bit. And, and I'll tell you why I'm doubtful of the numbers and my reasons why you don't have to believe me. And in fact, every, like I said, you should question everything. If you don't believe me, go, you know, go research it for yourself. Go find it for yourself. A lot of this stuff that I find is easy to find if you know what you're looking for. And I'm going to start posting my my sources on the Facebook page I just created, which, by the way, is Perspective is Everything. It's on Facebook. It's the same insignia as my channel from whatever platform you're using. Um, and that way you can at least ask me questions and you can go look for the sources for yourself because I don't want people to just blindly assume that I'm accurate in any of this information. I think we've all come to a place where you need to be questioning the information is pushed at you because at this point it's just, I feel like it would be a mistake for anyone to believe anything that's represented to them in the form of what we should be doing, how we should be feeling, our own personal health and welfare, anything at this point, because it's too difficult to decipher what's real and what's not real. But, um... The reasons why I don't trust all of the COVID deaths is a lot of people don't realize that the CDC and vital statistics, now vital statistics, if you're not aware, is what keeps track of all the birth and death records and the marriage records in the United States. Okay, vital statistics. So anybody that's ever had a baby, you know, that's where you got the information, you filed that paperwork to get their birth certificate. Well, they keep track of that because it lets them know how, you know, the population and everything. But Vital Statistics, the one that keeps track of all the deaths, and the CDC are sister companies. That gives me pause. I don't understand why they're sister companies, because a lot of people don't realize that the CDC is actually not a government-ran entity, per se. It has private investors. So, if the CDC and Vital Statistics receive investment from private entities... How do we know what's actually going on? I mean, we don't. And I think that's my main point with all this is that we don't actually know what's happening. Okay. So that's why I don't trust the numbers. Okay. I feel like anything that's been around for any period of time, government, religious organizations, nonprofits, you know, all of it. I think all of it becomes corrupt at some point. Some of it's been corrupt for eons. I mean, don't even get me started on religious organizations. There's quite a few on this planet that have done some pretty horrendous things. But the corruption's everywhere. I don't feel like there's a single part of our system at this point that isn't touched by some level of corruption. How far it goes, I have no idea. I don't care to speculate. But when they're talking about these numbers, so just to break it down to you... COVID deaths globally, the most accurate one I could find was 1.6 million, and that's out of 7.8, yeah, 7.8 billion, okay, so out of 7.8 billion, they speculate that 1.6 million of the global population, okay, so, 
roughly about 20%. I think it's even less than that. I'm not so great with the math, but I ran these numbers a couple of times. So of the 1.6 million, okay, of COVID deaths, 298,000 recorded presumed deaths from COVID in the U.S. Now, the U.S. total population is 331 million. So roughly, roughly 0.09% of the U.S. population has died from the COVID. Okay? Not one-third, not 20%, not 50%. Okay, I just want to put it in perspective for people. And I think when people start arguing statistics and percentages and everything, people go straight to, well, one death is even too much. And and while I think that when people lose a loved one, suddenly it's very tragic and it's very upsetting and, and, and death is one of those uncomfortable parts of life, but it is still a natural process in the cycle of life. I mean... There's like 70,000 overdose deaths every year. We have 600,000 children in foster care. 6,000 veterans kill themselves every year. Still, the number one leading cause of death in the United States is heart disease. So, when you put it into perspective, this virus that they say is never, ever happened before has a kill percentage of 0.09%. I just feel like we need to put this in perspective. So the COVID vaccine was developed in less than a year, okay, for a virus no one had ever seen before. Um, I mean, many world governments and major health organizations have claimed that no one has ever had coronavirus, but there are recorded studies on coronavirus with the same symptoms, rate of transmission, the same predisposition to be more lethal in men, the elderly and people with pre-existing, you know, compromised immune systems and health issues. I mean, the earliest article I found was like from 2013. I found one article that was talking about how coronavirus wiped out almost an entire an entire retirement facility in the state of Louisiana back in like 2014. And like I said, I'm going to start posting a lot of my, my sources because I feel like people need to read this for themselves. So... Now, keep in mind, the Spanish flu never had a vaccine. We didn't develop a, a, an a H1N1 vaccine until really 2009 that was effective. The COVID vaccine is reported as being 100% effective in black people. So that meant that every black person that did the trial was 100% effective. My big question with that is, is how is it so much more effective in an ethnic group and that why are we focusing on that because I don't know if people are aware of this or not but if you get a blood transfusion from someone that's a different ethnic group with you but has the same blood type it doesn't matter we're one species I hope that people can get over this concept we are somewhat genetically predisposed to have different body structures depending on um 
where our origins are from. And this has a lot to do with pigmentation of the skin. Uh, it's way more about geography and how our ancestors evolved to survive in specific climates. Uh, it, it, we're one species. It's just depending on where you come from in your origins. Like, uh, if your parents are Italian and you come from Italy, you're probably going to look Italian even if you've never lived there. You know, it's just like... Um, we evolve for our climate. It's like a lot of people that live in far northern... It's like, you know, the Vikings are the perfect example. They weren't tan. I mean, they lived in snow and ice and all that. But a lot of more of it has to do with our evolution versus we're different races. We're one species. I, I don't know why we're still drawing this line. But for anyone listening who may be of black descent, mixed race descent, I don't, I don't really decipher. I just see people... Um, I'm not ever going to pick on anyone because of the color of their skin. It's the dumbest reason ever. But um, black people, if you're thinking of getting this vaccine, I would advise you to not receive any vaccine that they're pushing as being 100% effective just for your demographic. I'm going to ask you this. How many times has the U.S. government actually been honest with our minorities? Can anybody tell me a single time? That they've ever given any minority group something that was actually beneficial for them. And it wasn't totally laced with lies and nonsense to try to utilize them for their own purposes. Um, I'm just throwing that out there. Because if you're a black person and, and the government's coming to you and saying this is 100% effective and best for your demographic, I would not take it. I would not take it. I, I, don't, I don't trust my government anyway. And I could definitely understand why a lot of minorities and anybody from an ethnic background would be like, yeah, I'm not so in love with the government. I can totally understand how they would get that feeling. So while they say it's 100% effective in black people and only 90% effective in other demographic, which I found to be really strange... I don't understand how that happened. Um, among the reported side effects from the trials, because they have to go through trials before they can actually, you know, release this. Um, one of the side effects was Bell's palsy or paralysis of the face. Now, CNBC ran an article I found to be quite hysterical where they said that they're not certain that these presumably healthy people developed palsy of the face um, from a vaccine. My challenge to that was, was half their face paralyzed before they got a shot? There's your clue. So, I mean, it brings into question why, why ethnic groups are testing 100%, um, and why are we releasing a vaccine with such obviously harmful possible side effects? Because when, it took them like 30 years to come up with polio, like a good vaccine for polio, and it had horrendous effects on children. And, and people they were testing it on. You know, vaccines don't just happen overnight. So it brings up the question, is this vaccine safe for us when it's rushed in this manner? Because I don't feel like science ever gets it right when it's rushed. I, I don't know. Call me crazy. I think if you're going to do something right, you should take your time. So that's my first question. How is a vaccine safe that was rushed this quickly? Um, if it is so so safe, I would presume that they've known about coronavirus for a long time. 
Vaccines don't just magically appear in less than a year. It's not a thing. So, somebody's lying. I mean, I really, I honestly think everybody's lying at this juncture. Our media is completely full of it. Our government is completely full of it. And I'm going to get more in depth into that next week when I talk about identity politics and how they've always been used against us. But, I mean, really, those are my big questions, is, is if it was developed this quickly, they already knew about the coronavirus. If they didn't know about the coronavirus and it was developed this quickly, it's not safe. And why are we pushing this agenda and this panic over a virus that's killed 0.09% of the population? And I'm not trying to be callous here, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, any death is great or anything of the sort. I, I've experienced death of loved ones myself. It's never a fun process, but it is part of life. The only thing I feel like we could do differently at this juncture is to not give our government control over how we live or how we die. Because New York City sent people back to retirement facilities that were infected with this virus. And people were not able to come and sit with their loved ones as they died alone. So I think the big question comes, are we going to continue to allow them to dictate how we live and how we die? Or do we decide that we're done just believing what they have to say? Because if you want to talk elitist in this country, I mean, I've already proven that at least three of the major news outlets are owned by billionaires, millionaires, and they have their finger in every pot. I could, I mean, I can't imagine any conceivable reason why someone would, who owns a news station would be involved in nuclear anything. That, that seems really strange to me, and I'm going to dig into that one further. But I really wanted to talk about the statistics, the percentages, and and who's controlling what we see, and really ultimately how we feel about it. Because at this point, everything they do, they're doing it to incite something. Unrest, division, confusion. That's the goal. And they've done a, an amazing job, but for me, it comes down to personal accountability. If you're someone that only watches a certain type of propaganda, because that's how I'm going to start referring to all news outlets. They're all propaganda. But you don't dig into it further and you just blindly believe it, that's on you. Because although we're dealing with a lot of really huge tech companies and very obviously corrupt governments and media outlets, we still have the individual choice whether or not we're going to believe the information that's being crammed down our throats. And I, for one, choose to question everything. I'm not going to just listen to it and believe everything that I hear. Even if I like the individual that I'm listening to for my news. I'm still going to go check sources. I'm still going to go figure it out. And I'm going to draw my own conclusions. Because I think at this point it would be absolutely foolish. For us to believe whatever they're telling us. So. If you've listened this far. I want to say thank you for being willing to listen. 
I hope that whoever listens to this, listens to this with some measure of objectivity. Because we're really missing out on objectivity right now. But if you enjoyed it, if you felt like it made sense to you, go ahead and hit the subscribe. Go like my Facebook page. If you have questions, you can address the Facebook page. And I will start posting my sources to that page so other people can go and view this themselves. Because uh, my objective is to get us, and I mean my fellow human beings, I don't differentiate, get us to understand that we're constantly fighting as though we're not all angry about the same things because we are. It's just that the individuals that are in power or in charge have figured out how to make us hate each other instead of realizing what the actual problem is here. So I hope that everybody's safe that might be listening to this. I hope that 2021 <laughs> is a better year for everyone and a little less psychotic. I hope, I hope, I hope we get some good resolutions. Um, but I'm still going to be very cautious going into the new year. So if you had a good listen tonight, I hope that everyone is doing well. Have a great holiday season and watch for my next episode where I'm going to be talking identity politics and how, and the difference really between leaders and dictators and how they get there. Signing off. <laughs>